Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. I'm Ali Jafar, and I'm joined by my friend James Woodard. How's it going, James? It's going. <laughs> Today, uh, we have a very special episode. I mean, I guess it's a normal episode, but <laughs> it's about something I like a lot, which is 2.5D video games. Yes. And specifically, as you put it, James, cinematic platformers. Yes. All right. I don't know if cinematic platformers is the right terminology for this sort of game, but I think these like stem from that like Prince of Persia out of this world type game. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Cinematic platform. They had kind of like stiff control, but like very precise control. Uh huh. They were kind of like single screen puzzles where you have to like. You know, walk around and climb up platforms and stuff and sometimes they're like environmentally based so games like Karataka, Prince of Persia which were both made by this uh, dude named Jordan Mechner mm-hmm. from Broderbund Software but yeah and right. like Out of This World which was French um, Eric Trahey made it which I've always loved yeah. but yeah I think these games originated what the games we're talking about today do but two and a half d didn't really come into play until the 32-bit generation when developers all of a sudden had like 3d technology but they were so used to making side scrollers that they just kind of mashed those two worlds together yeah no i was actually thinking about this i love 2.5d just because I like the look and the aesthetic of it. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, yeah, it's basically games that play like traditional 2D games, mostly side-scrolling platformers, Mm -hmm. but they have 3D polygonal graphics. Right. I mean, the reason it came about was like basically gamers and definitely developers were still interested in these experiences that were rooted in traditional gameplay but mm-hmm. the market demanded their their sweet sweet graphics yeah <laughs> and so they had to make these games that combine the two things and it's yeah. it's way trickier than it seems because sure. there's so many more frames and so much more animation that goes into a 3d game than a 2d game that it totally changes the rhythm and how the games play. So, And a lot of games kind of struggled with the transition. I'm thinking of, like, Bug for the Sega Saturn. Yeah, you know, for sure. Which was 2.5D, but it included walking towards and away from the camera, too, which didn't right. really work. But then there were games like Pandemonium for the PlayStation and Saturn, where you only walked left and right, but the camera kind of twisted and turned around. Sort of like what Klonoa does also. Right. It's more using 3D to create depth in the visuals rather than adding an extra like Z-axis. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Klonoa is a great 2.5D sort of adventure platform game. Pandemonium's good too. I think it's kind of an underdog. Oh no, Pandemonium's great. I, I think the one thing that I noticed about these games, which definitely kind of leads into the games we're talking about today, is that I think all of these 2.5D games work better when the pace is a little slower. Um, yes. It's pretty, because of the extra animation and because there's has to be more presentation going on, uh, it works when there's a slower pace. It's pretty rare to find developers who can do fast-paced 2.5D games really, really well, except for like the sort of masters of shmups, like Contra Shattered Soldier. <laughs> yeah, Contra Shattered Soldier, uh, and like Ikaruga. Thinking of you know, yeah, I don't know if Ikaruga like counts. 
because bullet hell games are like a whole different world. Uh, yeah, it's true. If that does count, uh, R-Type Final, what a great game. And that one, uh, the camera did twist and turn around when you were really just stuck on a you know rectangular axis. Right, for sure. Um, one of my favorite 2.5D games ever is uh, Goemon's Great Adventure for the Nintendo 64. Mm, never played um, it, but I always wanted to. So uh, it was one, it's probably only the like third, maybe, uh, Goemon game to get uh, released in the West yeah. um, and fully localized. And it's really cool because the second one was uh, Mystical Ninja starring Goemon, also for the Nintendo 64, which has like the worst fucking title of all time. And that one uh, was more of like a 3D action RPG. Yeah. So they made like a Zelda style three full 3d action rpg and then with the follow-up uh goemon's great adventure they did a total like 2.5d side scrolling action adventure game Mm. and that's what the goemon games were traditionally um they were like they had action stages and then they had town stages where you could kind of roam around and talk to npcs and do tasks and stuff yeah uh and those are some of my favorite games of all time that's one of my favorite series but What's super cool is that people in the West, including, you know, little kid me, didn't know that the series had been doing that the whole time where they had been alternating between like RPGs and like side scrollers. And so when that game came out, it totally blew me away. But it was also just cool because you could play just a side scrolling stage and then you could go to a town. And yeah, the design and graphics are fantastic. That's an amazing game. Man, I love that game. Yeah, I played uh, one of the Super Nintendo ones on emulator in the mid-2000s, and it was pretty great. Yeah, yeah um, maybe I'll uh, loan you my copy of Gambari Gomon 4. <laughs> you can play it without knowing Japanese. Sick. One 2.5D that I have to mention that I always loved from the PlayStation 1 was Tomba. Did you ever play Tomba? Oh, yes. So good, dude. So good. I love both of those games. I guess a lot of people hate the second one, maybe. But I never played I the love, second one, but I love, love the first one. It's really good. Um, Man, I love those games. Holy hell. <laughs> Super open-ended. Yeah. You're, you're just kind of like plopped into this world, and with sort of Metroidvania-style games, your path kind of forks a couple times, but like... Tomba just like blossoms like the world of Tomba just like splits into so many different paths you can go you can get so lost in the game and you just like fill up a guidebook with all your little sub adventures and oh it's so great (laughs) the gameplay loop is like super satisfying well and it just it's really fun it feels really good to like jump on people's backs and like suplex them and shit yeah that, (laughs) that was a cool mechanic yeah yeah I think that's one thing with these games that also i notice is i think because they have that classic side scrolling usually side scrolling perspective and gameplay style but they have the slower pace of like a 3d game yeah they have to have nice sticky feeling controls and mechanics and the good games in this genre really nail that where like the controls are slower and they're not like super fast and responsive but they're just nice and sticky yeah, and another thing, when when you're playing a 2D game on a 3D background, sometimes it's hard to see where, like, edges end and, like, what items are actually interactable, things like that. Yeah. And that's always been sort of, like, a challenge for developers. Like, do you just make everything, like, flash or shiny or, like, really obvious? Or that's always been a thing. Yeah, you walk right by a lot of stuff in these games, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I do. I don't know. Uh, well, we're talking about Limbo inside in little nightmares today yes hey guys james here a little edit 
our discussions for these games actually ran really long. So in this episode, we're just going to talk about uh, Limbo and Inside. And we're going to leave the discussion for Little Nightmares for next week's episode. Our recording session went almost three hours. So yeah, it really made sense to break this up into two different episodes. So yeah, this time we're going to talk about Limbo and Inside. Back to the episode. And one thing I, I would mention about all of them is that they use color in interesting ways. And so you don't really have that problem in these games because there's always uh, visual color cues. Right. Anyways, before we get into it, just a couple quick notes. First of all, this episode, like all of our episodes, is brought to you by you. And if you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com backslash zero brightness. Basically, it helps us keep doing the show because we have to pay for hosting and all sorts of other stuff that goes into making this. And any support we can get from you guys helps if you're enjoying the show and wants to keep making it. Please help. Yes. <laughs> also, we we have a new website now to zerobrightness.com. So if you want to connect with us, that's really the easiest way. You know, Facebook, Instagram, all that shit. Just go to zerobrightness.com and there's cute buttons there you can press that'll bring you to those places. Super cute. And you had a couple shout outs you wanted to do as well. Yeah. So I wanted to give a shout out to a couple dudes, dudes from the internet. <laughs> First, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Genesis Gems podcast and especially Aaron Hickman. Aaron's been helping a lot behind the scenes, like giving me advice because he's been doing the podcast thing for a while. So big thanks to those guys. They have a great podcast. Aaron's also a uh, chiptune artist. Uh, he goes by Dia, D-Y-A. Really cool shit. Um, super talented dude. And uh, another podcast, Games My Mom Found. <laughs> this, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the story behind that name, but... Uh, I'm going to find out. Nice. Mike reached out from games my mom found, and he said he likes the show a lot. So shout out to those dudes. Maybe we can do a collabo or something. Who knows? Nice. Yeah. So uh, we're starting off. We're talking about Limbo and Inside, which are the two games by Playdead. Yes. Both great artistic games. Right. And before we get super into that, I do want to circle back to talking about Out of This World. Yes. Can we? I love those old games. <laughs> yeah, so Out of This World uh, by, is it Eric Chahi? Is that or Shahi, maybe, because yeah. it's French. I don't know. I was Known as Another World in its native France. Yeah, which I was like seriously trying to name my band after, but we ended up with Another Heaven instead uh, <laughs> due to things being taken. But uh, Out of This World, as we know it in America, is like one of my favorite games ever. Uh, sick AF. And, oh yeah, sick AF. Absolutely worth uh, returning to and playing. And all of these games, but especially Limbo and Inside, really, really reminded me of Out of This World. Absolutely. And the things that really shined through there were, number one, you die over and over and over. Yeah. In really gruesome ways, right? In really upsetting ways. <laughs> and I think in Out of This World, it's a cool game because it is like a side-scrolling game, mm -hmm. you know? So you, it's kind of, you get how you're supposed to move through the world, but it's so difficult and puzzle-based and all that mm -hmm. that you just keep dying. And the fact that you keep dying and having to learn how to do things and go back, etc., gives the game a really unique loop. Yeah. Um, I think in Out of This World, it's so unforgiving that... It's very punishing. I think a lot of people probably just didn't get very far in that game. Sure. Um, Limbo and Inside definitely 
are a lot more forgiving and I think that's to their benefit. Like <laughs> much more you know, approachable. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like how I think in old games that were based around kind of death mechanics, like you're supposed to die, learn the level, die, learn the level, keep going it through it until you master it, which is to me is always like that's the Mega Man gameplay yeah. loop. Sort of. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? But like maybe it's because I'm just not very good at Mega Man games. I don't know. <laughs> uh but with like the newer games that use that, they always, I think they always make it just a little less punishing, which is cool because it engages the player more. It makes you want to oh, totally. actually yeah. stick with it. it. It's, it's, if, if you're going into out of this world blind, you're not going to have a good time at certain points. Like you're going to fucking hate your life and you're going to look that shit up on the internet. <laughs> when you're a kid in 1995, you can't look that shit up on the internet. No. Yeah. But the other thing about Out of This World that, or the other thing about these games that made me think about Out of This World was just how cinematic and presentation-based it is. Because Out of This World is almost verging on being like a Dragon's Lair type FMV game. Well, it's all rotoscoped animation. So it gives it like realistic movement, but the color palette and limitations to the artwork really make it seem kind of like abstracty in a certain way. I, I think these old rotoscope games are actually like really visually pleasing because they're so unique. Yeah, I agree. But I also I also think that like there's that disconnect between your inputs and what happens on screen. Yes, absolutely. So the combination of that art style and that disconnect makes them feel more abstract. Like it makes me feel like I'm playing an FMV game sometimes. Yeah, it's janky and overly deliberate, I would say. Yeah, and I think that playing all the games we're talking about today, it really put me back in that mindset because these games are obviously much more modern and and much more slick. They control much better, et cetera, et cetera. But just like kind of being back in that frame of mind of like, it makes you very deliberate with your Mm. motions. Out of This World was one of the first games that like didn't have any UI at all either. So that was yes. also very cinematic. Yeah, I don't think Limbo or Inside yeah. have any UI either. Just Yeah, in, Inside just has the title screen and then the pause screen. It's really cool yeah, that way. For sure. And also, there's sort of just the lack of context in the story. Like, Love there's it. no text, there's no voice acting, there's a brief intro cutscene uh that the first time I played the game when I was super little, I just was like, I just kept dying. And I was like, is there a game? Is this a game? You know, when you're <laughs> yeah. in the water. You're, you're underwater, the underwater, yeah. Yeah, and if you don't swim right away, you get eaten by like a a, a, mer- a like a dune water worm. Thing. Yeah. It's just a bunch of tentacles, I think, yeah. Yeah, like you just don't get anything. And then even as you play through the game, like there is a story that's told but mm-hmm. it's very bare bones and you know so it's like by the end of the game you're just kind of like oh this alien is my fucking best friend but you're like wait <laughs> is he or am i just like kind of projecting onto this game but you're not told anything you're not told how to like reload your gun or how to shoot the big bullets that shoot the that break the walls so little is told to the player in that game that it's to somebody in 2019 going into it blind i could just see people like not keeping interest very long which is a shame Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think there's one more element, which is that we kind of mentioned it. But, yeah, you're going to watch your character die over and over and over and over. And it's I kind of think it harkens back to our 
conversation about scares in horror games where the scare is almost like a collectible or it's something that you can see or unlock or whatever. I kind of feel like in these type of games, those deaths are kind of like that, but they're also really upsetting. (laughs) So yeah, in in these cinematic platformers, like you always want to see how you're going to die. Like uh, another one, which is one of my favorite games of all time, uh, Flashback Quest for Identity. Like you're always trying to like die in the most grotesque ways. Same with Out of This World. And even with like, I remember playing Prince of Persia. I mean, that animation on the main character was so crazy that sometimes like seeing the deaths was like interesting in its own way because you just i had never seen anything like that you know and it just was already on my fucking computer when i bought it that's nuts all the interesting deaths are the reason why i also play all the leisure suit larry games (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i've actually never played any of those games oh you, you should really play part one it's just so silly and it's very short like you can have sex with a hooker and your dick falls off and you die <laughs> like what else do you want yeah why, why else did you pick up the controller man <laughs> there's this one part where you die and like where you fall and die like on the street like the street opens up and like a platform takes you down like subterranean into a, like a subterranean factory where like all the larry's are built and they like rebuild the larry and put him back up on the street <laughs> like breaking the fourth wall and showing how like they just like that's pretty good when you load the game that's how larry's there again <laughs> larry the the creator Allo is basically just a smart ass and like leisure suit larry was like his release for just being a smart ass <laughs> yeah for sure fun stuff so one thing that i do think separates all the games we're talking about today from all the old games we're talking about is that they are very distinctly horror yes and they're all really approachable <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. Speaking of that, <laughs> I know Limbo. We both played Limbo for the first time on our phones. Yeah, man, and I played it again on my fucking phone, dude. <laughs> I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. No, I okay. Here's the deal. Didn't you say you played Inside on your phone too? Yeah, man. Oh, okay. That hurts me. Here's the deal. So Limbo, <laughs> Limbo came out. During like the long period of time when I wasn't actively really playing video games, right? Yeah, or like me too. Yeah, so we've both talked about it. It's like so during that time, I would still I'd go back and play old games. I would maybe check out something like some indie shit on my computer, and then if something actually cool came to my phone, I'd play it on my phone. And part of that was accessibility because it's like I don't have an Xbox, I don't have a PlayStation, like I don't have whatever. And also that I love handheld gaming. I super, super love it. The Game Boy Advance is probably, if I had to pick one system overall, it's probably my favorite system of all time. I mean, like... It's got a lot of great games. Yeah. And it's like... Just in in terms of volume, it's got so many great games. Right. And like for me, over years and years of playing handheld systems, it ultimately became like, I just really love the feel. I love the sort of like workflow. I don't know if that's exactly the word I'm looking for, but mm-hmm. just the way it works and the way that you get into it and how it's made so you can play it in small chunks, you can stop whenever you want or you can just play it for hours like run. It, it's just so adaptable and it's so accessible and I always just really loved that about that type of thing. So, and Limbo worked really well for that. Yeah, Limbo works super well for it and like when I got an iPhone very reluctantly and I was sad about it, <laughs> and now I've had one for like God knows how many fucking years and I'm still sad about it every goddamn day of my miserable life. Like 
<laughs> the first thing I thought was that number one, there's got to be a decent drum machine app on here, right? Which there mm-hmm. is. <laughs> and then I was like, there's got to be some decent games on here. And then like right away I found Limbo and I was like, oh fuck, I didn't know this was on here. Like this is sick. <laughs> and I will say for the phone experience of this game that I think the controls are really good. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the first things you have to say because iPhone controls in every game are basically just total garbage except for like a few exceptions. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, with limbo, there's what all you have to do is walk left or right. Uh And then there's an action button. Are there two buttons or just one on the iPhone? Uh, it's just like a tap. Yeah. Like interact tap. That's it. But then there was jump too. So I guess there's two. I think jump was like swipe up though. Oh, was it? It's okay. The funny thing is that like I just replayed these games and I can't remember exactly how it works yeah. because it's well, that's so, a good thing, right? <laughs> it's so intuitive. But I think it was basically like you swipe in right or left to run. It's swipe up to jump, and then it's like tap to interact or like tap hold. Okay. It's so intuitive. It's actually kind of like eerie, and. <laughs> This is also like I've played games on my phone that I've wrestled with the controls because actually here, let me tell you something, James, that's probably going to like haunt your dreams. (laughs) Actually, this might make you just like quit the podcast. Um, I I already quit. Yeah. So I I replayed uh, Final Fantasy VII and Chrono Trigger on my fucking iPhone. (laughs) Well, you know. Uh, confession time. I played a Final Fantasy for my iPhone, but it was one made for the iPhone. Oh, okay. But it wasn't very good. Yeah. No, I went back and replayed classic RPGs on my phone because I was like, there's no way I'm going to have time to finish these fucking games. I'm doing it while like waiting for musicians to show up to my studio. I think that's okay because there's no like Twitch gameplay or anything. You know what I mean? You're just walking around villages and shit. You don't need like killer reflexes or anything. Yeah. And let me say this. So, uh, it's really, it's really, uh, appealing and fun for gamers to dunk on Squaresoft for their like mobile ports of Final Fantasy games. And like, it's become like a big thing, but, uh, those mobile ports on mobile are actually pretty sick. Like the virtual good enough. Yeah. The virtual game pad that they came up with for the games is like, really really good and like the shitty ui they put in that like it looks <laughs> bad but it makes like tapping and selecting stuff really really slick mm. um it's they actually did a good job the problem was that they started porting the mobile versions over to like home consoles yeah <laughs> and then people are like um what the fuck because yeah it looks like shit on a tv and like Run. just plays like shit um yeah i started playing through the one of the lunar games on my iphone 5 but it was oh, just yeah. so fucking glitchy that I didn't, I just got mad at it and quit. Yeah. There, you know, what's funny is that, so yeah, I mean, I guess when I was playing Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy seven, I was like really, really fucking depressed and I would just spend a lot of time in bed. So like <laughs> you can see how appealing <laughs> that was. Hell yeah. And after I played those two games, I was like, maybe I'll try some other shit. And I think it was either like, yeah, Lunar or Ease or some other like, vintage rpg that i like tried to play and i was like oh wow this is like squaresoft actually that's what made me realize that squaresoft actually did a really good job with the mobile ports so yeah i I can get that on a mobile phone and i can get limbo on a mobile phone Uh uh-huh but inside on a mobile phone hurts me deeply (laughs) 
<laughs> and I just it just reminds me of that David Lynch video of him like bitching about people watching movies on their iPhones. Now, if you're playing the game on a telephone, you will never in a trillion years experience the f game. You'll think you have experienced it, but you'll be <clears throat> cheated. It's a, such a sadness that you think you've seen a f game on your fucking telephone. Get real. Well, okay, so, and uh, here's my defense, is that, number one, I fucking love handheld gaming. And, like, <laughs> I, I love it. I'm down with the small screen. I'm down with everything. And, you know, games aren't purely visual. So it's like, I, I okay, maybe tell me if I'm wrong. But if I'm going to play devil's advocate for the other side of my argument, it's that you're missing visual detail and you're missing atmospheric detail and like, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I'm okay with that. I guess. I don't have a good answer. I'm just okay with it. <laughs> and I, I guess. I, like, I played these games with headphones for sure. And like, yeah, that's important. Like when I would play a game like Final Fantasy VII or Chrono Trigger, like yeah, I would definitely have headphones in because it's like that's just the most banging ass tunes of all time. <laughs> Insert the fucking funky track from Final Fantasy VII. You know which one I'm talking about with the fucking bass. That's playing right now. <laughs> Fuck yeah. But, editor? Editor? Uh, editor? Editor? Uh, Garcon? Garcon? I need the funky track from Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, you know, I got the atmosphere. I got the vibe. And yeah, I think that like a few generations ago, iPhone screens got big enough to support something like inside. But I also, mm. I'm stop, I'm halting as I say that because I'm also seeing your point. Because <laughs> like I did go and there's like a secret ending and I went and watched that yeah. on like my computer screen, like off of YouTube. And I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> well, you know, like, and like, like I said, like, okay, so like, I hold the phone really fucking close to my face. I have the brightness yeah. like all the way <laughs> cranked, and I'm wearing fucking headphones, dude. So it's like, yeah, I'm in it to win it. You know, I'm a responsible, filthy, casual gamer. Okay, <laughs> but you played these games on PC. Yeah, well, I played Limbo like a million times through different methods but like i i played it at least twice on my phone and then yeah i got it for free on pc a couple years ago and i played through it there and then uh played a little bit this weekend to uh refresh myself it's it's definitely an extension of that cinematic platformer genre from the 90s very simple you know you move left and right there's an action button and a jump button and it's presented in a very like a silent movie kind of like silhouette yeah sort of way everything is flat right so limbo has a really really distinct look it's hazy black and white but it's very mm -hmm. it's a mix of like hazy lighting and atmospherics with really stark silhouettes yeah. so and there's a ton of film grain Right. A ton of depth of field, so a bunch of stuff is blurry. A lot of blur. But it's like all the moving figures, like your character and any sort of enemies or other characters that appear on screen are all like pure black silhouette. Yeah. Um, and then the environments, though, are, gray, you know, grayscale and they have more detail and there's like grass and trees and it's all sort of set. Well, it's mostly set in like a forest environment that slowly turns into this kind of mechanical nightmare 
Um, mm-hmm. Really heavy, like early David Lynch vibes, you know, <laughs> yeah. when he was doing the black and white, like industrial shit. Yeah, and I would argue also like uh, like silent movie German expressionist kind of era. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of flicker, like you would see in like low FPS silent movies and stuff. Yeah, it looks amazing. Like, yeah, especially for like a really early indie game. This was a uh, 2010. Yeah, like it. It was one of the first games that kind of like spearheaded the indie movement, along with stuff like Cave Story. I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's a really stunning game. I think even if you just you know boot it up and play it for a minute, like it'll stick in your mind just because the way it looks. I remember you know when I yeah. played it the first time, just seeing screenshots on the internet and just being like, "Holy shit, what is that?" Yeah, but there's no dialogue. The narrative is told through just visual storytelling. Right. It's really just like a um, Book of the Dead thing. Yeah, where you're a dead kid and you're trying to like reach the afterlife or like reach your sister. Well, so there's even like a, a river of sticks that you go across and everything. Yeah, so like we should talk a little bit about the play dead style because both of their games <laughs> seem to be in, in roughly the same style. And yes, so they're cinematic platformers as we just spent some time discussing, but both games are very, very abrupt, like in media res. Like you just start. And you get going. Yeah. And both games also mm-hmm. just fucking end, which we'll get to. <laughs> yeah. But like, they just cut. And it's like, well, okay, that's all you get. And in between, yeah, there's no dialogue. There's no, I mean, there are sort of kind of like cutscenes, but they're more just like short little bits of story that's happening around you. And I don't know yeah. if either of these games really stops you for very long. You know, no, maybe just a small little scene here or there. Yeah, like actually a few seconds, and so the whole thing is left for you as the player slash viewer to piece together yourself, and that's one mm-hmm. of the coolest things about these games. Like, totally, man. If you go online, which I hadn't done until recently, <laughs> poke around some fan theories. It is bananas. Oh yeah, especially for inside. Oh yeah, yeah. In- Great stuff. Yeah, inside is way crazier than Limbo. But so with Limbo, it's funny because so you start up the game. You're this little silhouette kid with big white mm-hmm. eyes, and you're in this kind of gray, washed out, you know, neglected, burnt out sort of world. And so your first thought is like, well, I guess I'm dead. But yeah. Because the game's called Limbo, and it's like, yeah. well, and I'm a, I look like a fucking ghost, yeah. And the world is really, you quickly find out, is very inhospitable. But the game is never like you are dead, <laughs> you know. It's <laughs> it's it's really cool. I think you know you're dead though. You're totally dead. Yeah, you're totally fucking dead. Of course, but uh, <laughs> I think even just for us, like doing this show and talking about horror games, all this kind of stuff, it's if you play a lot of these games, it's something you can get desensitized to, but playing both of these play dead games, it really struck me. I was like, you know what? This is actually very good. Zero context storytelling and presentation. Oh, totally. Yeah. Mostly because they fucking commit to it, you know? Yeah. Well, like, you know, limbo is a great game and it, you know, it spearheaded the indie movement and everything. Um, but you know, after playing inside, all I can think of is that it's just like a big prototype for inside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
There's, and I think Limbo maybe was even more successful than Inside just because of its proliferation. It's something that usually doesn't work in people's favor when you make something that's popular and then you come back and you're like, all right, here's the setup. It's basically the same as last time, but this time it's better. You know, it's like that works sometimes, but a lot of times people just don't like that because they just are like, well, I already did that. Or they're like, well, why wasn't that one better? You know? Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was just right place and right time too, because limbo dropped when iPhones sort of became, you know, the thing that everyone had. Right. And so mobile gaming was super hot, you know? Well, and there were a few games from that time and I played all of them on my fucking phone uh, that were very clearly like mobile games or at least like they were sort of mobile focused that gaming websites were uh, picking up. And there was like uh, there was a game called Year Walk. Have you played that? I remember game? the name. Yeah, I never played it. Oh my god, dude! You gotta <laughs> play because Year Walk is on PC and and everything too. But it might even be in my Steam library. I feel like it might have been one of those games I just got for free in a bundle or something. Dude, yeah, I mean, I would cover Year Walk honestly. That's a good fucking game. But like, that was one that came out and it was similar to Limbo. I think where like because it was also on PC and you know it was probably on like whatever the Xbox marketplace or whatever was the thing at the time. Yeah. Gaming websites could sort of cover it without people being like, Oh, you're covering mobile games now, huh? You fucking casuals. But like, (laughs) so they covered it and these games got a lot of exposure, but they were also available on mobile and they were really good. Like year walk is really cool because it actually, I think it's a series of like two or three apps. So there's like the game that's one app. And then there's like a lore app kind of and you Mm. can sort of like poke around in that either after you finish it or while you're playing the game and there's actually a lot of cool stuff you can do with interactivity with mobile that would be a little harder or at least a lot more cumbersome to do on a platform like pc Um, sure well i mean that's why we got the wii u (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) speaking (laughs) of cumbersome (laughs) um but yeah and i i think too it might be also that all these developers that I'm talking about right now are European. So play dead is Danish. Yeah. Um, year walk was by a Norwegian team. So maybe that plays into it, but I, I thought that was kind of a cool little era that mm-hmm. I don't see as much. Cause I remember at that time, whenever there was a game that was kind of like that, like not super, you know, high fire or whatever, I would look up and just see like, Hey, is this game coming to mobile? Cause I might mm. prefer to play this on mobile. Like I still, I mean, I played Oxenfree on mobile uh, mm. before I played uh, Night in the Woods on PC or Switch. I can't remember. Uh, I was actually trying to, I was like, man, I wonder if I should just wait for it to come on my phone. Cause that would actually be like <laughs> kind of dope, but um, you need to stop. <laughs> no, James, I won't. <laughs> Yeah, but Limbo was definitely in that era where you could put out a game that was available to a lot of people via mobile and it wouldn't, you know, hurt your cred or anything like that. Yeah. Now it's like they've tried to put fucking Diablo on a phone and the whole internet just shits its pants. Christ. (laughs) It's like, dude, like Diablo should absolutely be on a phone. I think Diablo should be played while taking shits. Like, come on. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've got no skin in the Diablo game. You, so. Have you played one before? I played Diablo 1 on PlayStation 1. Oh, on PlayStation. Wow. Yeah. Dude. The last episode we talked about Link Cable PlayStation Doom. We also did Link Cable PlayStation Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two players. Absolutely, man. That sounds great. Yeah, it was good times. But yeah, Diablo's, you know, there's a lot of grinding. Do it while you're taking a shit on your phone. <laughs> anyway, Limbo. <laughs> Limbo. I mean, I, I feel like there's not a ton to talk about with Limbo. It's a cheap game. You can get it for, like, nothing. Like, I think they'll literally, like, take, like, pocket lint for it now. Yeah. Just get Limbo on whatever whatever will run it and play it. Right. For sure. And, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that we could talk about with it, uh, we could also just talk about with Inside. I mean, totally. It has yeah. the gameplay, the basic gameplay elements of it are essentially the same, where it's a lot of environmental puzzles. It's a free flowing game, but it's pretty clear that it's sort of screen by screen. You know, you come to a, ro- totally. a room or a screen and it's like, okay, I need to solve this or figure this out. Uh, when I say environmentally based, I mean that you're it's a lot of like moving stuff around or just mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to traverse getting over the water or yeah, getting around the thing you can't get around. Exactly. And but Limbo and Insider are a bunch of it, it's it's a linear game. You're running to the right the entire game and things are happening. You're getting like like spoon fed a little bit of story and you're just doing puzzles to continue going right forever. Until the game ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Limbo has that sort of environmental storytelling aspect, and it has kind of a cool twist at the end, but it's very, very subtle. Like, yeah, I don't think we need to talk about it, because if you just play the game, you'll sort of get it. And yep. personally, when I actually went online and poked around fan theories, the more I read them, the more I was like... I don't really think any of these are very interesting. Yeah, and I don't think you need it with Limbo. It's just such a simple story. Totally. No, I, I 100% agree. Like it's Limbo's a game you can you can finish in one sitting, or you can finish, you know, 10 minutes at a time yeah. while taking a shit. On your phone. Yeah. On your phone. While, while taking a shit on your phone. Hey y'all, thanks so much for listening to the Zero Brightness Podcast. If you want to support us, the most direct ways are at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also give us a rating on the service of your choice. I know Apple's super into that. And when you leave a rating, you can also leave us a suggestion for a future episode topic. You can also follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram. We're at Zero Brightness Pod. You can also shoot us an email with thoughts, comments, whatever at Zero Brightness Podcast at gmail.com. It's been really cool interacting with people and sharing thoughts on Facebook and Reddit. So hoping to hear from you guys more directly in the future. Okay, enjoy the rest of the episode. So, yeah, I think that that's one that we can leave to the listeners to explore and find out. However, we discussed beforehand that when we talk about Inside and Lil Nightmares, my favorite new rapper, Lil Nightmares. Uh... I'm not trying to say it that way. I just am saying that way, by the way. Uh, when we talk about those games, I think it's kind of impossible to not spoil them. Yeah, totally. So, spoiler alarm. 
Spoiler alert, you have been warned. This is your spoiler alert for the rest of the episode because a lot of what we're going to talk about is going to spoil the game for you. But these games are cheap. They're short. Uh, you should check them out. Uh, yeah. And you can either listen on or go check them out. And uh, we'll see you after you've played about six hours of high quality cinematic platforming gameplay. Not even that long. I, I played through Inside. Man, I played. I replayed it. Well, I knew the solution to all the puzzles. Yeah. But I replayed it, and it was like, man, less than two and a half hours. Yeah. You can blast through these games. It's great. I. I, I mean, you're gonna yeah. get. You're gonna get stumped on a couple of puzzles the first time through. But yeah, uh, I think Inside is really good for replayability, just because it's so like visually breathtaking and it's quick. Yeah, and also I'll say. So all of these games sort of have like a twist in them, and yeah. like the twist in Limbo is pretty subtle. The twist in Little Nightmares is very weird and kind. <laughs> I'm not gonna say out of nowhere, but it's definitely kind of like a okay. Uh, yeah. But the twist in Inside is like Hall of Fame. Totally. Like. Like best video game twist ever. Maybe, and it's and it's really just because they fucking commit to it. Like, yeah, they pull a weird move, and then you're like, "Oh, this is a weird segment. This will be over in two minutes," and then it's yeah. the entire rest of the game. I, I'm glad I went into it blind. Yeah, and this is why we're doing the major spoiler warning. Yeah, exactly. So you could go do it if if you don't know anything about it, you should experience it. Because I literally had like an oh shit moment. Like I couldn't believe the game. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. And like I said, it's still replaying it. It was just such a like, I was just laughing at so many points in the whole last, yeah. like, I don't know, last 40 minutes of the game or so, or last hour. I don't know. I was just laughing my ass off. So like, I cannot fucking believe these crazy people actually make you play the rest of the game like this. Yeah. It's so good. Anyway. Now. So Yeah. Inside is sort of like a dystopian future story. Um, very much like Terry Gilliam films would portray. And I kept going back to that. Mm. Like there's heavy, heavy doses of Brazil and 12 monkeys, especially Brazil. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't think about that, but now that you say it, that's actually really, really good. That's very, very true. I mean, to me, the standout aspect of Brazil is like this bureaucratic world gone mad. So absolutely, you're hemmed in by all these systems, but you're watching them all collapse around you. And that's basically the plot of Inside. But it's told from a really weird perspective, which is like a huge twist at the end. Right. Um, You know, kind of going with that twist, there's a heavy dose of like Cronenberg style body horror. Yes. Maybe even, you know, like, we already did heavy spoiler warnings, but maybe a little bit of, like, you know, the blob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or um, the 80s horror movie Brain Damage, which I kind of thought was, like, of course they weren't thinking of brain damage, but it kind of r- reminded me of that. Yeah, for sure. So the the sort of evolution stylistically from Limbo to Inside is it, it's pretty surprising when you first boot up the game. Like, mm-hmm. If you've played both games, um, Inside has a totally different look. It's yes, more modern looking, more like full 3D looking, although it's still just mm-hmm. a side scroller. 
Um, it has a lot more detail and it has not a ton of color, but the color is used very effectively. The color grading is really cinematic. Um, yes. Also, the camera work. It, it looks like Children of Men or something. Yeah, uh, I think uh, maybe the color. I don't know. Children of Men reminds me of like the mid 2000s, like oversaturation of green and everything like that. Sure. <laughs> that, you know, like the PS3 360 generation suffered from too. Maybe like the end of Children of Men when it's all gritty. Yeah. That one take section that's like really cool. Yeah. It's like a 30 minute one take. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super cinematic. Even the camera work is more cinematic, even though it's still, you know, like a two and a half D game. It's happening on a 2D plane. The right. camera work, it's very like, it almost has a steady cam feel. Like there's a rocking of the camera at certain points. It's really nice. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. yeah and there's a little bit more going on with the camera, I think, in inside. Like, mm-hmm. It was interesting playing all three of these games together because Little Nightmares has some pretty wild camera work. Like it zooms out like crazy or like it just does this really weird movement that you're not expecting. And uh-huh. it kind of made me realize how subtle a lot of the camera work is in Limbo and Inside. But mm. Inside definitely has more of that like camera movement, kind of zooming in and out, reframing the shot for you as you're moving or it's at least like a lot smoother than Limbo. Yeah, super smooth. You can tell they put a lot of emphasis on the camera. Yeah, because Limbo, so like I was saying, Limbo goes from this sort of creepy forest into like a more mechanical uh, mm-hmm. nightmare sort of look. And by the end of it, it's like so mechanical and it's so like platforming focused that it almost feels like you're playing Super Meat Boy. At the end. Yeah, it's just like fucking saw blades everywhere and shit. <laughs> yeah. And like the camera is just like pretty focused on your character and then like where the saw blade is you're trying to like avoid. Yeah. There aren't any moments like that in inside. Inside, mm. like your character is moving in the foreground and you're kind of always looking at the background to see if there are enemies or to see if there yeah. are some NPCs you can interact with in a pretty interesting way. Yeah, so the game starts in a really effective way, like super tense. You're just a kid with a red shirt, like running through the forest. Right. And then you start seeing all these like cops in the background everywhere. And you're like running from these like cops or something. And they have search dogs. Yeah. And the search dogs can fucking maul you to death. Yeah. And you don't, once again, as we said, in the play dead style, you have no context for this. You don't know why. I mean, it's clear pretty quickly that you're sneaking into somewhere you're not supposed to be (laughs) like, yeah, you sneaking in somewhere. Are you running away from it or what's going on? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Once you hit upon another thing where it's like, I don't really know. I sort of assumed I was sneaking in because I like hopped a barbed wire fence, but it's like, yeah, I don't Mm. know. But yeah, it's like you're in this kind of chase where you're trying to avoid these guards and when you fail over and over as you do, it's like you see this yeah. kid right away, get shot, get fucking drowned, get strangled, yeah. get mauled by dogs. It's like right away. You're just like, Oh my God. There's some real, every little scene is like beautiful visually. There's a part where you're like hiding behind an RV as a truck drives by. Oh yeah. And these dudes like jump off the back of the truck and they're looking around for you with guns. Yeah. And, uh, there's another part where you have to like dive into a dam and like in the far background there's guys with guns and if you surface they'll shoot you it's it that that section reminds me so much of the beginning of out of this world yeah the 
the presence of these sort of like guards who can shoot you uh, definitely reminded me of Out of This World, like the sections yeah. where you're trying to avoid gunfire. And it's definitely not as hard as that, but it definitely calls back to that. All these games yeah. have little callbacks to Out of This World. I like the one that's in Little Nightmares, but we'll get there. Yeah, and so you're like, you're running from these guards. You end up running through a cornfield and like onto a farm. Yeah. And you started noticing that, like, shit's kind of fucked up. Um, all the pigs are in, like, a really bad shape. And some of them have these, like, parasitic, like, leeches on their heads. Right. Which reminds me of that 80s horror movie, Brain Damage. Right. And which were also in Limbo. Right. So there's a little bit of a, once again, for a company that doesn't really give you context, it kind of immediately makes you think, like, oh, are they in the same universe? Or <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. A lot of fan, fan theories about that. Yeah. Super cool. But you know, once you're inside this like farm slash factory thing, you find a machine where you can like stick your head in it and like control other humans, which is one of the new puzzle elements that Limbo didn't have that Insight does have. But you control a lot of characters by proxy right. to solve puzzles, like sometimes in the background or around you. Yeah, and it's one thing right away that kind of introduces you to a new stylistic element in inside that wasn't in limbo which is that they're just gonna keep pulling the rug out from under you like yeah they're gonna keep introducing elements and they don't really stop that you're just like oh my god like what the fuck so like limbo is pretty linear like the game moves from one style to another the gameplay gets harder and a little bit more like hardcore platformery uh, mm-hmm. then puzzly as the game goes on and there's a couple story moments that are kind of like oh shit but mostly the game is very linear and you kind of know what to expect Yeah, inside is not like that at all inside just keeps fucking with you and so the first time you walk into this thing like you, you're in a pit with a pig you jump into the pit uh-huh. you see some guys in the background and so you're just kind of like fucking around with the pig because you can move the pig around and it's like not happy about it and <laughs> so you fu- you you figure it out you have to put him under this little thing hanging from the ceiling and then jump yeah. on him and then you can jump into it and you like mm-hmm. suction into it and now you can mind control the guys in the background and make them do like move the way that you're moving so your character is sitting there hanging in midair like running in a helmet <laughs> and then these guys in the background it's really funny looking it's funny looking but it's also really weird and like unsettling and creepy just well it's it reminds me of Terry Gilliam because it's so absurdist, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's so wild. And, like, <laughs> it, it's just... And it, and it really sets up one thing that's cool about this game is, yeah, the intersection of being funny, absurd, unsettling, and just, like, really, disturbing. really disturbing and creepy. Yeah, and so it also introduces these sort of, like, characters. They're kind of, like pale humans that just stand around and don't do anything until you control them which is sort of a recurring theme of the game and that it's a recurring mechanic as well although as the game goes on you also see them like in other positions so you progress into like a more urban area and you start seeing like rows of these slaves marching you you see like trucks filled with them like driving off to unknown locations so you kind of discern that like the general population has either been like enslaved with mind control or something like that or that these things are being like grown in labs and just being used as slaves i you never really know for sure yeah this interesting side note here 
this is maybe a discussion that we aren't even going to end up having. But I noticed that in this game and in Little Nightmares, there's some pretty heavy political stuff going on. Oh, totally. Super heavy, which that we'll talk about. But there's one thing that specifically is like, there's some Holocaust imagery in both games. And when I saw it, like it hit me in the gut, especially the one in Little Nightmares, because there's a whole story behind it. And I was just like, oh, no. But then I was like, did they earn that? And I don't have an answer. I just actually thought that maybe out loud even. I don't know. No, I think I, I think inside is very tasteful and thought provoking when it does things like that. Yeah, just like Brazil, you know, Brazil basically ends with a fucking lobotomy at the end. Yeah, you know, yeah, totally. I th- I think cautionary fiction like this is important. Yeah, I agree. And it should be dangerous, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree, and I and I like that a game that once again gives you no context and gives you no traditional storytelling, like still puts in these very heavy messages like yeah i don't know how many people connect with it i don't know how many people get it or are affected by it but i still uh i respect the grind Yeah, but i was surprised like to see holocaust i mean holocaust imagery right like you don't pull that out of the sack of tricks every game so (laughs) i was i was a bit uh i was a bit surprised to see it 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 is legitimately shocking yeah it's effective i i hope it's it's, super effective i hope it's in good faith and that's maybe to a good point like maybe it really did you know do something for people but yeah it, well, you want you want people to think right you want you want people to like leave the theater you know affected you want people to you know if you see a good piece of art you should like you know it should stick with you right and i think i think inside does it in a very respectful way yeah no i i agree but i think also think the best way to talk about inside are these like little scenes that we're kind of illustrating Absolutely. like you can't really talk about it as a game you have to talk about it as these little scenes Right. Um, so moving forward, you're in this sort of urban area. And at a certain point, you sort of have to join one of these lines of like the zombies being marched. And so you have to, you have to blend in as them. And they're all being inspected. And it, this is like one of the most like disturbing things. Like there's like normal people watching all this, like with note boards, like writing notes and everything. And then there's like little kids with them. So right. there's like it, it reminds it's very reminiscent of like the Jews getting off the train and like the Nazis checking them off. Like they're all humans, but one is being like totally subjugated, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, and just sort of like the exaltation of the process. Like this is something that we not only should do, but it's so important that we do it, that we could have a child watching it and Mm -hmm. we feel confident because even though it's like, disturbing or depraved it's the process is so important that we could like share this with a vulnerable human and they build it into a video game puzzle (laughs) you have to like stop and turn around so you can be inspected and make sure you're doing the right things at the right time and not build any suspicion yeah Uh, it's very clever the way they pull that off right yeah (laughs) man now i'm like thinking more about that and it's like uh, that's like really fucked up. <laughs> but I mean, it's heavy shit, you know? It's also cool though, because like it establishes that there's a culture in this game that's you're taking part in. And so there's certain scenes later that if you haven't picked up on that context or you're not thinking about that context, 
kind of don't make sense. Right. But then within that context, it's like, oh, that's actually really, really good writing or totally. That's actually really, really brilliant. Yeah. You're continuing. Well, it, it, it becomes clear that you're like breaking into somewhere. Right. Because, you know, it goes from these like industrial areas to like more like laboratory areas. Right. And you start like seeing like weird experiments and science shit going on. You continue to control people's minds with the helmet. And then you meet another experiment, which is sort of like um, the girl from Ringu. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a girl underwater naked with like wild hair. Yeah, it's like Sadako Sadako meets uh, Ariel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and she keeps dragging you underwater and fucking drowning you. (laughs) And it's horrifying. Yeah, she's a bummer. Yeah, I mean, she's like, that character is the most overt horror, I think, in the game. Like, I think the first time you see her, you're in like a little submersible yeah, uh, kind of a little submarine. Uh, uh-huh. I, I believe the term for it is a bathosphere. Uh, yeah, which I know because I played a music festival once called that, and we thought it was so funny that it was called that we, that we just kept saying it in like a fake British accent over and over. So <laughs> when I was playing this game, when I first had, when you jump into that thing, I was like bathosphere. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, she totally pulls a a, a Super Mario boo on that <laughs> yeah, part. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Yeah, but like, yeah. So you shine your light from your bathosphere on her, Uh and she and she turns around and swims away. And it's just funny because it's like, yeah, half Super Mario World, but also you know some horror game, like also part like Fatal Frame or something. Yeah, because if 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 you don't pay attention, you let her get to the bathosphere, she'll like it's pronounced bathosphere. She'll bust the window open and drown you to death. Yeah. Which, yeah, once again, in the realm of disturbing things that this game will show you, if you play it all the way through, definitely watching, like, a little boy be drowned by, like, a feral Samara underwater is, uh, it's up there. Oh, it's gonna happen, like, over and over, too. Yeah. Every- so get comfy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything we're bringing up, like, you're gonna see more than once. Yeah, I mean, but the first time, like, the dog rips your throat out, it's pretty effective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's one thing, too, as a side note. I mentioned it earlier, but I really do think the fact that this game will just start you over from such a close checkpoint. Like, there's so many checkpoints in this game. Yeah. Like, it really helps the gameplay because you don't... It's very approachable. Yeah. Like, you can feel upset by what you've seen, but you don't feel, like despondent or like you want to give up yeah because it just keeps restarting you so close by and that is something you could criticize out of this world for out of this world is an absolute pain in the ass yeah you gotta save state that motherfucker dude totally like i definitely played a lot of the my genesis cart that i still have but I don't know if I ever actually beat it on the original cart. Like, oh, that part where you have to like shoot the little piece of earth under the dam and let all the water out uh, and run to the left. Oh my god, that should give me PTSD. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, what? Okay, side note: the great thing in that game is like you get a gun, and you're like, <laughs> oh hell yeah, brother, I got a gun, and then like the whole rest of the game is you just being like why is there shooting why are there guns why (laughs) 
Yep. Yeah. But you have to. You, there is that moment where you get a gun and you're like, you know, I have a machine gun now. Ho ho ho. And then you're like, no, this is actually no. something very different. Forget it. Forget about it. Yeah. So eventually, you know, we're we're skipping ahead, but um, eventually, the girl that keeps wanting to drown you, she she finally gets to drown you. But this is a special drowning <laughs> because she like. She pulls you to like the deepest parts of the the underwater laboratories, and the 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 game never fades to black. So you're like, what? And eventually, she like hooks you up to a machine, right? And all of a sudden, you're like born again in this laboratory, and you can swim around without breathing. Yes, and more importantly, you can control people's minds without a helmet. But this part of the game is like super beautiful, yeah, because. You're underwater swimming with like a school of fish, but you're like swimming through like an office building. So there's like chairs and desks. Yeah. And you like swim out of a window. Yeah. It's really dreamlike. And, you know, again, I can't stop thinking about Terry Gilliam films. Absolutely. And in, you know, another uh, achievement that this video game maybe achieves, it's debatable. We earlier just dropped the total bomb that maybe it has the best twist of all time, but I'm going to say uh, maybe has the only good underwater section in a video game? Question mark. <laughs> well, there's some other more challenging underwater parts too. Yeah, but like where you will die over and over. Yeah, for sure. But that section is like okay, this is cool. super cool. Yeah, I've been playing some games recently, going back playing some older games, and it's just like underwater parts it's really not just a joke or a meme like why oh dude fucking sonic uh chemical plant zone gave me ptsd fuck that shit fuck that shit fuck chemical plant zone (laughs) uh fuck well even dusk man like (laughs) dusk or blood like why blood was tough the underwater parts and blood were tough yeah Uh, dusk was a little more forgivable the six degrees of freedom, that was nice. Yeah, it's not like... but it's This like, was just so snappy with everything, you know? Yeah. But why, though? True. Like, we had the benefit of time, man. You knew. You knew what was going to happen. And you went and <laughs> did it again anyway. Dusk plus water just turned into descent. Yeah, true. Oh, man. <laughs> I think about descent a lot. I haven't played it in probably like 15 years, but I'd really like to play it again. There's a great spiritual successor called Overload. It's on GOG. I have it. It's oh, great. Shit. Yeah. I ain't I ain't even heard of that. Same dudes. Oh. That's It's a little bare bones, but it it does the thing and it's super good. Well, I mean, you know what else is bare bones is descent. <laughs> anyway, so after after you have a, a nice calming trip through underwater where you get drowned <laughs> and then you get powers. Uh yeah, you end up back uh at the labs. And this part of the game, for my money, is really, really unsettling and creepy. Like Just incredible. Yeah. But and this is also a good place to talk about the music and sound design in this game. Mm, yeah. Uh, it really does start to crescendo all at this moment. Right. Because I think that early in the game, I mean, the sound design is really good. It's very, to use the word for the 15th time in this episode, it's very cinematic. Like, yeah, but it's, it's not, we're not overusing the term. I mean, they're really just trying to make something that feels like a movie or a TV show in a lot of elements. Yeah. Well, in the beginning of the game, when you're running from the guards in the middle of the forest, there's no soundtrack. It's just forest sounds in your footsteps and right. the dogs barking. Yeah. And, and it's very well done. It, you know, it, it's super good, but 
the music early in the game is also super good, but it's very like basic. Like mm. it kind of has that it minimal synthesizer, Silent Hill, like somebody better send Akira Yamaoka $20 and a bottle of whiskey kind of feel <laughs> to it. Like I like it, but I like it cause I'm supposed to like it and I'm easy and I'm trash. And then like, at this point in the game, it's slowly the music really evolves. And at this point, it gets really weird and creepy, like horror film score, dissonant orchestral plus synth type of vibe. Totally. And it's really yeah. good. Like it goes somewhere. Send some whiskey to Pinderetsky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's super, super good. And, and it gets it. Yeah, it just keeps, it stays at that place. Like, it gets good and it stays good is what I was just trying to say and sort of failed to say. But uh, I I really, really appreciated that because I remember early on thinking, like, oh, you know, music's good. Like, I've heard it. And then later in the game, it's like, wow, okay, all right. It's almost like a more ambient, like, Ben Frost or something. Yeah, totally, Brian Eno on a heavy day, Ben Frost sort of collabo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. CDR only EP edition of 50. <laughs> yeah. Written with like a failing yellow Sharpie on the CDR. Yeah. This is music. Um, <laughs> I think the sound design sort of has something similar too, but it's not because it gets better or more interesting. It's just that as you enter these labs, there's more just bizarre kind of creatures and things to make sounds. And they're just mm. very strange and disturbing. Um, so we're kind of leading up to like the big twist in the game, you know? Yeah. Once you get out of the water and you're back in the labs, you're walking through and you're seeing these sort of experiments set up. So you're seeing these little, they look like cubicles, but they have clear walls around them. Mm-hmm. And there's chairs and like film set lights. They almost look like so cameras yeah yeah and you're seeing either like more of the kind of like pod people but then you're also seeing some other things like that big tall humanoid shape that's just like rubbing its bloody stomach against (laughs) the it's like cubicle window and so you're you're getting into something that you're like whoa like what is this what is going on there's clearly like some bizarre experiments with mutants going on and not just with the mind control thing. Like what is the point of this? And then you kind of quickly figure out what the point of it is. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're walking to the right, of course, because you're walking to the right the entire game. Yeah. You can't stop walking to the right. You see all these scientists sort of like startled at first. You kind of think they're startled by you. Cause there's like a kid running through their offices. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, they all start like congregating at this like big tank like a big circular water tank. And so they're all rushing towards it and you can like run up to the glass and look inside too in a real cinematic moment. Right. Well, and I want to say, so two things about this part quick that are really cool is as you're walking up to the glass, you see like, I think it's one or two scientists who are rushing over to the observation and they're like tripping on chairs and yeah, the animation on those characters just popped out at me. I was like, whoa that yeah looks really nice so good and yeah and the camera pans back and up you know yeah as you get closer to the tank it's all really subtle stuff and like when you run up to the tank and you're looking at the window with all the scientists and everyone's just like staring at this tank it's so cool because you can't see what's in there because Mm -hmm. of where the camera is but like 
your character can. Right. And, yeah, and like the scientist next to you kind of like glances at you, then pays you no mind, and then glances towards the tank. Right. It's all very natural feeling for yeah. like a side scroller. It's really strange. It's super cool. And this was the image that was kind of used as like the promo image for the game. Oh, was it? Yeah. And it's funny because it's pretty close to the end. Uh, yeah. And it's also right before you find out this big twist. And yeah. I love that they did that because it is really, I think it's the best shot in the game, except for maybe the final shot. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty fantastic. But yeah. it's a great shot and it's really cool. The other thing about it is that it kind of harks back to what we were talking about earlier with like when there's these children watching this sort of bizarre like human enslavement scene play out this is the same thing where you're in this lab and to the player who lives in the real world you're like this is really weird that there would just be a kid here but to the scientists mm-hmm. in game they're like oh there's just this kid here like whatever whatever yeah and i love that it just reinforces that you're in a different world with a different culture and you sort of have to piece together what's going on you could say you're out of this world Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but so you are in this scene, and you can stand there for a while. I did. Uh, yeah. Well, you don't really know what to do, right? You <laughs> got to the end. What, you have to walk left for a minute? What's going on? Yeah, what the hell? But, yeah, yeah so you kind of go through this little scenario. You figure out that you have to go back and go up. And so you're going up and this part's really cool too, because you're going up and over and it's still the cameras painting around and doing all stuff, but it still won't show you what's in the tank and what everybody's looking at. Yeah. So it's, and, and I don't remember there being a lot of like music or sound at this part. Um, but it's just so fucking tense. Cause you're yeah. just like, what's in the tank, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's in the box. Yep. Since every game we play references seven, I figured I was safe to to reference seven there for a second. Yeah, yeah. And so you jump in the tank, and it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the tank. Yeah, it's nuts. It's huge, though. <laughs> Big plot twist. Uh, <laughs> but you do jump in the tank. Well, yeah. no, you don't jump in the tank, actually. You go under the tank, and you get you solve a little puzzle, and you get suctioned into it Yeah, in a really weird way yeah it like opens up in like a close encounters of a third kind kind of way and and yeah you get sucked into it and all your clothes get blown off (laughs) yeah that part's really cool because at that part there is music and it starts like building and there's music and sound that's building so when you solve the puzzle you're basically trying to get this like mechanical iris to open Mm -hmm. wide enough so you can jump into it but instead of that being the solution the solution is that it opens really wide sucks you in Suddenly you're inside the tank, you're underwater, and there's no sound at all. So there's no sound effects, and there's no music. And the character is, like, naked swimming around. Yeah, and you can see all the scientists, like, pounding on the glass. Like, no, 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 no. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, yeah. But you can't hear shit. So cool. It's super cool. Uh, and so you're kind of just kicking around this tank. And once again, even at this part, you can actually swim around for a good minute before you find what's in the tank. Do you know what it's called? No. Is there a name for it? It's called the huddle. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so you come across the huddle. It's a big amalgamation of body parts from like different people. 
Yeah. It's just like a big mass, like a 15-foot-tall mass of writhing arms and legs and heads. Yeah. And it's the co- so creepy. It's super creepy, and the core of it is just a big blob of flesh. Yeah. Like, there's stuff coming out of it, but it's mostly just a flesh blob. So there's, like, rigid human body parts, but the main mass is kind of, like, fluid and, like, squishy. Right. It's so gross. The huddle. The huddle. That's really, really good. I was just going to call it the blob, but that's way better. (laughs) So you're in this big tank with the huddle, and uh, you start unplugging it from all the machinery. Right. And when you're almost done, uh, you're ingested by the huddle, and then you are the huddle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is the, the plot twist, is that suddenly you're controlling... The fucking flesh blob. Yeah. It's you. And you can swim around the tank. And it's like really creepy and gross. Like I was just like, mm-hmm. ew. And also, this is great too, because like when you're playing it on your phone, you got to fucking touch the thing to move. And you're just like, ew. <laughs> ew, ew, ew. <laughs> no. That's funny. Gross. But... So you just go over to the window where all the scientists are. You uh-huh. tear out a big like control panel and break through the window. Yeah. And suddenly the huddle is, is fancy free and just rolling wherever the hell it wants. Scientists running for their lives. Yeah. And while the huddle like clumsily sprints down the hallway with all these writhing arms and legs. Yeah. And it's like tripping over itself and rolling, but like, you know, whichever side of the huddle is closest to the ground is the part that's running. Yeah, and it's got this crazy like insect-like blob of legs under it. Yeah. But it's super cool because when you look at it, the animation on it is really good, and it's actually like Mm -hmm. the legs in front are like running, and the legs in back are pushing, like someone pushing on like a bench press machine with their legs it's super yeah. crazy it's yeah. like whoa they thought about so, this yeah it, it was hand animated by the artist a lot of work was put into the huddle there's like rigid skeleton physics for all the bodies in it but then it's all connected by like this looser stuff yeah and you know whichever part is on top is going to be on top and so there's even a couple puzzles while you're as the huddle you have to grab items yeah and so there's a lot of like animations put around like you know carrying this item with like all these hands and legs and then you know the huddle rolls and it's like the items being held by a, a completely other part you know it's really cool yeah and like it's handing itself these items and right the the first it, time you it, see it do that it's it's mind blowing because the animation is amazing it's also fucking disgusting and it doesn't stop being gross as hell yeah. Like, and I think I read that the artist was inspired by like crowd surfing, people crowd surfing. Oh, so while holding the items above hand, it does look like, you know, like you're carrying a box and it's like crowd surfing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's funny, dude. Too bad it doesn't like headwalk at any point. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is okay so this is what i was referring to at the top where it's like so when i was playing this part you're in the tank you break out a tank and i'm like cool this thing's gonna spit me out and i'm gonna play the rest of the game 
Nope. Nope. <laughs> like, you are that thing for the rest of the game, which I think is it's about an hour. Like, it's, Oh, no, not that long. You don't think it's that long? What was it maybe like no. 30, 40 minutes, though? It's a good chunk. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I got through it really quick. So it might, you know, your mileage might vary. I think I was I was bad at some of the puzzles as the, <laughs> I wasn't very good at the huddle. Yeah, there was a couple. There are a couple like novel new things that you do have to figure out as the huddle. So, yeah, but the beginning of it is is kind of hilarious and gross because you're just like bashing through walls and doors. Yeah, and it turns out that the the scientists are trying to entrap you again. Right. And so they're locking doors and stuff, and you're trying to get out, and you, like, squeeze through vents, and the huddle becomes more, like, liquidy and squishy, and you go through vents. Yeah. And you end up trapped in another tank by the scientists. Right. And you have to bust out of that one, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's so cool. It just keeps escalating, and the tension keeps escalating. Like, you don't want to slow down. The, The huddle is just running. It takes a couple falls, and then, like limbs start breaking off of it and it starts looking redder like some of the bodies are getting like seriously injured yeah and like uh when a limb breaks off it kind of crawls around on its own for a little bit like an insect and just sort of dies it's really cool after a while i don't know why but the staff start helping you escape well okay so this is what's interesting is that when yeah, when you start, it's very clearly like an escape scenario. But then once you hit a certain point, it almost feels like they're putting you through physical tests. Something, yeah. And I started to feel like that it was actually part of the test, but it was just part the, of the plan. The people at the beginning were just fucking scared. Like you straight up crush a dude in like a fall, yeah. and you his, kill a couple people. Yeah, yeah. Well, you kill. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That one dude gets, like, splattered like a pancake, yeah. which is fucking hilarious. You splatter him, and you have his blood, like, all over you. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. So great. You kind of, you crush a bunch of people who you assume are dead, but there's one dude where it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's super dead. Yeah, I just made you into soup. Like, yeah. Um, but at, that's actually the, I think that's kind of the point after that where, like, you start entering these weird places where like you're doing puzzles but the scientists are actually like setting them up for you yeah they'll like a guy will throw you a box so you can get through the next part and if you you fuck it up he throws the the box back to you and like yeah there's another guy's like operating a forklift for you or something like that yeah and then the one that's really weird is like there's a guy who's just like holding a hook for you yeah and he's just holding it for you and there's people around him who are like pointing and like saying things to him and then they're just waiting for you to get this little like car over to where the hook is so he can hook it for you. And then it breaks the wall and then they start scrambling yeah. and like freaking out and like they pull one of the guys up and they run. But it's like it seems like, oh, this is a part of a test, actually, which it's super ambiguous. Yeah. And there's a bit of that suggestion in like one of the endings, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but so that's kind of near to where the end of the game is, right? That's yeah. Yeah. So eventually you end up escaping and you, you bust out of the facility and you're like rolling down a very steep hillside and limbs are breaking off. You can tell like the huddles in like pretty bad shape. Right. And, um, 
and you know it's rolling down this hillside and it comes to rest on a on a really like picturesque like grassy beach with the light shining on it perfectly and then uh the credits start rolling yeah (laughs) and it kind of like contracts for a minute like it gets smaller and it looks very quiet yeah and it it, the 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 huddle sort of looks like a weird husk just sitting there basking in the sunlight and but that's it i'm under the impression that it died yeah but like man (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there there is a secret ending to the game um throughout the game there's like these like pod things that you can deactivate if you find them all you can go back to the beginning of the game and find a secret exit in the uh the cornfield right and there's a last one to deactivate and if you deactivate that one the uh the boy deactivates like all the other like human slaves throughout the game right so the big theory is that the whole game the boy is controlled by the huddle right and the whole plan was to have this boy infiltrate this facility to help break the huddle out right which is fucking mind blowing which is crazy and then <laughs> so it's just like with limbo where if you start well first of all you can come up with your own theories and then if you start looking at other people's theories you realize that it's all just pure suggestion like yeah you can just start extrapolating out so to me it was like it felt like it was all a controlled test to test the limits of these experiments which are really bizarre and obviously an an attempt to create some sort of like hive mind type figure that can control other things that well and i say obviously because that's obvious to me but it's not obvious at all you know it's also really subversive because you're playing the whole game you think like you're the kid with the red shirt and everything else is so dull you think you're the one like escaping you know like the the servitude and slavery of modern life right? right you're escaping it you're the you're the unique voice yeah and it turns out you're just controlled the whole time yeah and you were just controlled by something else right which i think too is a big subversion of the whole genre it's in the whole the whole micro genre it's in of cinematic platformer um yeah. I, you know i think that we've already talked a lot about it and i'm gonna keep bringing it up but both these games as unique as they are and as cool as they are i do think they're very heavily referential to the past like uh little nightmares has a lot of references i think to um odd world totally and this game even in that what we're talking about is a subversion of that kind of game so if we're looking at out of this world you are an alien hero right like you're a human but you're in an alien world and you're a hero and you're trying to save your new best friend who sort of looks like a bipedal dinosaur and (laughs) in odd world you're like very explicitly like this sort of anti-capitalist hero and Uh and like you said you're an individual you're incredibly unique there's only one of you and you're going to take down the system right this game it's like well that's obviously not the case like this world sucks more than all of those worlds combined yeah also you're not going to take down the system also you're not unique you're a fucking robot that's controlled by a bunch of legs. You know, happy Easter. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> How dark is that? Very dark. <laughs> it's 
It's the end of Brazil all over again. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the end of Brazil on trucker speed. I feel like inside is one of the best arguments for games as art that you can have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I don't think it's being like merited as much as it should be. I agree with that. For that reason. I feel like you know, Limbo took the spotlight from inside, while inside is like clearly the better and more like interesting piece of art. I 100% agree. I think it's there's a few factors at play. I think that both of these games are trying to take like a totally weird niche genre and do something new with it and reinvent it and bring it back in yeah. a way that it's almost unrecognizable cuz well yeah, like these old games they're <laughs> they're not approachable at all. No. But anybody can play Limbo. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I think and Inside is just an extension of that. So anybody could play Inside, really. Yeah, for sure. But the other thing that I think in their reinvention of that sort of niche genre, they're creating something that sits at a really interesting place stylistically, you know, because they're trying to find a way to create these highly scripted, highly cinematic experiences that are still very interactive they're still very gamey i mean they're puzzle games ultimately which is the most basic thing possible you know it's like brazil meets tetris right like sort of yeah so it's yeah they're logic puzzle games you know right so it's a brilliant design when you look at it in that way but then if you look at it just i guess with a wider lens it's oh it's just another video game i mean it's maybe less stunning and i think that's the way that people are looking at these games so if you look at limbo it's like it's more approachable you know it's like oh it's kind of like goth super meat boy or something (laughs) but then like this inside is something totally different i don't think anyone's done anything like it i think you know again limbo was like a time and place thing yeah everyone had it on their phones Right. But I guess that's what I'm trying to say. A lot of times I'm let down by the reaction to games because I think people still really grasp for the familiar a lot of times with mm. games. And, I, you know, I do it too. Like, there's stuff that I'm just like, oh, I like this because I like this. And then something comes along that's challenging. And, you know, it seems like in this space, people are maybe less open to that sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I would say that... Uh Inside is the Silent Hill 2 of Prince of Persia games. <laughs> wow. That's really way out there uh, in terms of like where we're grabbing for metaphors and shit and also like fucking awesome. That's totally right. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, any, any final thoughts and before we move on? Inside rules. I would Yeah, you really should play it. I think it's even if you listened this far and you haven't played it yet, it's like what I said about Soma, where knowing the twist doesn't make it hit you any less hard. And For sure. If anything, now you should just go experience all the imagery that we've been sort of giving you secondhand smoke of. Hey guys, James here with another edit. That's going to be it for this week's episode, but we are going to continue this discussion with Little Nightmares next week on another episode because this recording session ran almost three hours, so it really made sense to break it up into two chunks. Just to do a little quick game club, you know, of course, next week is Little Nightmares. After that, we're planning on doing Onimusha, and after that, we are going to tackle Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. 
So uh, stay tuned, play some games with us, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, connect with us, talk to us. Uh, We love interacting with y'all. See you next week.